Welcome to Atrévete, a leadership series featuring innovators who are pushing boundaries, atreviendo to disrupt the expected and inspiring others to go for their dreams. I'm your host, Natalie Bowden. My guest on this episode of Atrévete is Jennifer Yepes Blandol, the co-founder of Drafted. Drafted is a Latina sports culture media tech company with a mission to elevate and celebrate Latinas in the world of sports. Hey, super Jed. It's really, it's great to see you. It's, uh, it's been a, a long time. I know we've, we've met a couple of, of years ago. Um, welcome to Atrévete. You are one of my atrevida favoritas at this moment with all things Latinas and sports. Uh, so welcome. Bienvenida. Thank you, thank you so much, Natalie, for having me. It's such an honor. I'm such a fan of you and what you've built and, and how you lead and how you're a mom. So I'm, it's just an honor to be here. Yeah, super. So listen, my first question is, before we get into what you do and the company that you founded with Karina, I want to ask you just a little bit about you. Where are you, where are you from? Where did you grow up? And we'll take it from there. Yes. You know, I'm second generation Mexican-American from Texas. I'm Tejana through and through. I grew up in a smaller West Texas town, um, where, you know, diversity was, uh, in pockets and it was not really cool to be different, quote unquote, different. Right. Um, and so the upbringing that I had was, um, it was varied, very acculturated life that I was living. You know, my parents just wanted us to quote unquote, blend in and, and not be othered the way that they were growing up in, in the town. And so um, my life has really been a journey of, of learning and unlearning um, culture throughout. And that's interesting. It, it, it things um, so much has changed because even you and I, the way we raise our our girls and our and me, my son, uh, Latino, being Latino is such a big part of everything that we do. And whether we teach them the language or not, it's just culturally, and it was so different so many years ago. So it's interesting to hear that and how you've come back to your roots. Oh, absolutely. And that started for me in, in college. I, I started studying abroad in Mexico, and that was like, I just wanted to be immersed and find my roots and find myself and get ties back to my culture and my ancestors. And from then, you know what, I was 18 years old and, and I hadn't looked back and I went several times and just traveled all over and read so many history books. And, and, you know, yeah, to your point, my kids now are in bilingual dual cultural schools and, you know, they're going to know no difference. So it's, it's an exciting growth period. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's also exciting in the U.S. how there are those dual language schools, but uh, on the note of dual language and, and, and supporting Latinos and, and Latinas alike. Tell us about Drafted. Yes, yes. So Drafted is a Latina sports culture company. Um, you know, we launched last year and really we're just focused on celebrating and elevating Latinas in the world of sport. Um, you know, our narratives are completely, you know, gone and not represented in, in mass media and mainstream narratives. And, you know, it's going to take us to change that. Um, and so that was really the impetus of starting Drafted. I was a former collegiate athlete. I'm a sports fan, former, you know, sports marketer. And I just knew firsthand 
the um, audience that we have in Latinas when it comes to sports fandom um, and sports participation. And so we're, we're building it. We're building the future of fandom. And what is, and, and it's really cool to hear that you're, you were a college player. Uh, I played tennis in college as well. I grew up in Honduras being um, one of few female athletes, even in, in high school. Um, and you did feel different, right? Today, what's so cool, I mean, I see Sasha, my 15-year-old, and I go to like AAU volleyball. And it's the first time I went, I got como se me rizaron los pelos in terms of goosebumps. Se me salió una lágrima. I had, I was teary-eyed. I turned mm. to Krista and I said, my husband, and I said, can you believe it? Hundreds of courts and thousands of female players yeah. from all over the country And I told him, imagine in Honduras, had we had this, it would have been, you know, amazing. So what is it about sports, and Latinas specifically then in sports, that you feel are the biggest challenges right now? Because, yeah, I, I see it. I see it in volleyball. I mean, yeah. we're very lucky because Sasha growing up in Miami, her team is really 100% Latina. Yeah. Nearly, nearly 100%. It, it reflects where we live. Yeah. Um, but it's not the case nationwide. T tell us a little bit about the challenges that Latinas are facing. Yeah. You know, and I want to also point to, like, I had a similar for experience than you are, because for, for me, sports was more than just a game. It was a sense of belonging. Because again, in that small West Texas town, I wasn't reflected anywhere. And my dad being the coach and my mom being the team mom, you know, they made sure that our teams were very diverse and we were inclusive of everybody. And if you had talent, we were going to find a way for you to play. Um, but, you know, in What the did whole, you play? What sport? I, I played What softball. Softball. Okay, yes. Awesome. So I, I was a pitcher. I played division two. Um, absolutely love the sport. Um, but, you know, as a whole, we know that, you know, girls are not, you know, girls by the age of 14 drop out of sports twice as fast and little as boys do. And from the Latina perspective, you know, we know that um, they receive a lot of messages about, you know, discouraging them to play sports. And there needs to be more research about this. You know, the two researches, you know, and I'm going to name names here because I think it's important. And of course, the people doing this research is two Latinas. You have Vera Lopez out of Arizona State University and um, some really exciting work that's going to be coming out from Marilyn Castro from the University of California, Santa Barbara. But with Vera's Vera's um, research, she's looking at four main points of why, you know, Latinas are dropping out of sport at such a young age and you're not seeing them participate. And it all comes down to the messaging that they're receiving, right? So institutional messages, ideological, you know, messages around gender and our culture and normatives. And then, of course, those instructional messages from coaches and interpersonal messages from peers. So all these messages line up to discourage Latinas from participating, which then affects, you know, the collegiate pipeline, which then, you know, affects the professional and even, you know, corporate and executive um, from a sports landscape perspective. So it's an entire ecosystem problem that needs to be solved for. Let's uh, double click for a second on the on the messages. You said two types of messages. Okay. There's actually... 
Yeah. So there's mm-hmm. actually four types of messages that Vera um, uncovered here. So that's going to be those ideological beliefs around okay. sport and gender and culture, right? This is, you play tennis, but oh, my mom didn't, right? Because my grandmother mm-hmm. said, nope, you're a little girl. Girls don't play sports. You're not allowed to play tennis, right? So those are those mm-hmm. ideological beliefs that surround us. And then it's institutional, right? What are those common practices or policies that prohibit little girls from playing um, and those instructional messages that they might be receiving from coaches. And also my dog. Uh, is- that? <laughs> is that your dog? Oh, I thought maybe it was four-year-old. <laughs> what is his name or her name? His name is Cash and he's a black golden doodle and there's a siren and he has to cry with the siren. Okay. Well, um, he is, he is, he's more than welcome to participate. Hi, the Cash. is welcome. You were um, saying inst- uh, institutional messages and from coaches. Yeah, from coaches. And that last one is um, interpersonal messages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, those uh, messages they get from peers, right? Little boys taunting you or little girls taunting you. Um, but yeah, the, the peer pressure is there as well. So those are those main messages um, that Latinas are facing um, that it's going to deter- discourage them from playing sport. It's interesting you talk about about coaches. What is an what is an institutional message from the coaches? Is that the coach that's already coaching you or just coaches in general? I think it could be, you know, I'm going to speak here from personal experience, right? Mm-hmm. I had an amazing, obviously my dad was my coach. In high school I had a female coach. Um, but you know, when I got into college was the first time that I had a really different type of personality, male, more of like a harder coach. And that really deterred me. I mean, that was one of those first times where I was really questioning the stability of my, of my talent, of my skills. And it was like, just really threw me off. So I think we know from a coach perspective, those words that they speak can really take a toll on whether or not somebody chooses to continue to play. That's interesting. And and did he, if I if I can ask, did did you feel that you were treated somewhat differently than than the rest? So he was. You know, from my oh, perspective, mm-hmm. I would say yes. Right. I I was yeah. the only Latina on the team. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and it makes a difference. And um, you know, and, and especially just going into college, that's the first time you're away from your family. There's so many things at play, and I just don't think he held. Um, the proper space for us to to evolve as humans, as players, as as student athletes. Right. I know it's interesting because as your father <clears throat> being a coach um, and your mom being the team mom, you did have that space. You were also growing up in a town that was very diverse. And then you move. Where did where did you go to college? So not far. I went to a Division two West Texas A and M. I mean, yeah. we're talking a small town, more cows than students. Like it was, uh, it was different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was. It, it, it listen. What's fascinating about the U.S. and that's what I've always loved, even growing up. Not growing up, living in Miami for the past twenty five years, and now my kids growing up, is that you can go just a couple blocks north, a couple blocks south, and suddenly you have a Venezuelan community, and then you have a Haitian community. And then you have a more Cuban community. So yes, I I understand that it's still Texas, but it can be very different from town to town. So those messages, it's fascinating research. Would love love to hear more about it in terms of all of those messages because the the message of las niñas, you know, 
las niñas no deberían de jugar deportes and girls don't play sports is still alive and well, right, in our, in our community. Absolutely. And, you know, that is one of our key focus areas with drafted of like, you know, if you don't, if you don't see it, how are you supposed to be it? And representation and visibility and access are so key. So for us as, you know, a young media company, how are we making sure that we're centering and elevating Latinas in the world of sports? So Latinas at any age can see that Latina fandom is real, that athletes are real, that leadership experience within the sports industry is obtainable. Um, we have to we have to see it. There are winds of change, though. Correct. There you do see you do see more. I mean, maybe it's because I follow Drafted. <laughs> so anyone listening has to follow Drafted. You do see a wind winds of change in in the sport, but it is as you see a sport like soccer you absolutely start to ask yourself, how are there not more Latina soccer players across the board? Uh, it, you can say the, the pipeline from high school, elementary, et cetera, but also college and then on the professional level, you'd expect there to be much, much more because we grow up culturally with it in our, in our households. Um, but then, but there aren't. So that, that goes back to the challenges. So other... Other than the messages being received, are there any other challenges that they're facing? You know, to me, it just doubles down on the the systematic challenges and the access. If you look at somebody like a Maria Sanchez, right, from the Houston Dash, who, you know, she made headlines for her record-breaking deal um, in the Wall Street Journal, she never played club ball. And again, that's one of those things where it's, you know, you it's a kink in the pipeline, Right. If you're looking, I think in 2021, we had this stat that only 6% of collegiate student athletes, you know, identified as Hispanic and Latinos and only 2% of coaches and athletic directors. So it really is this funneling problem that we can't get this professional grade player if she's not being able to get access in the collegiate area. There's a wonderful foundation out of California called AS Sports Foundation. Um, you know, Latina led, their daughter plays softball. Um, I can't remember the school, but Ivy League softball. And you know, that was one it's like, how do you even get recruited? What's the process? How, especially a sport like softball, you know, their scouts aren't flying across the country to see you. You have to go to a camp and going to a camp, a scouting camp takes money. That takes time. That takes a parent or a guardian taking you. So these there are all these systemic barriers um, that are in place that are hindering Latinas from growing um, as athletes. So what do you what do you think organizations? So let's talk about brands first. Do you think there's an opportunity for brands to help sort of diminish that gap and and help? Because I do see a lot of organizations. I know the the one you just mentioned in California, Ella, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that foundation. I, I, I've seen what the uh, Aspen Institute does, and there are many non-for-profits that, that seem to be working on, on this initiative, but it does go back to, to funding sometimes, too. It, what do you think brands or what opportunities or white spaces are there for brands today? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a whole ecosystem problem. And for brands and organizations, figure out, you know, and that you can stay within your own swim lane, right? If you're a sport apparel brand or um, a consumer brand, I'm thinking the power raids and the Gatorades, the fueling of athletes, stay within your swim lane and start looking at what's your Latina strategy. How are we going to make sure that our athlete representation matches you know, our, our growth population and how are we making sure that we're taking care of them? So it's very much going to be a bespoke strategy for each brand. Um, you know, and don't feel like you have to go outside of your expertise, stay within your lane and and try to solve the problem from within. And what about those brands that will say, well, we have a women and girls strategy already. Yeah. What would you tell them? You know, it's about, you know, that's a tough mindset because for me, that always comes to a lack of cultural competency. And you Mm -hmm. always have to kind of look at the lowest, you know, common denominator to make every boat rise. Um, And, you know, the numbers are showing that Latinas and Black girls are dropping out at higher rates. So how are we making sure that we're taking care of them to take care of the entire women and girls sports ecosystem? Because yeah, it is, I love, I love that that you're saying that that is. Don't look at the lowest common denominator and build from there, but look at each the different challenges. Even within the female segment, there's age, there's culture, there's backgrounds, etc. Um, I love that. I saw Don Staley's. I saw a post Don Staley. It was Don Staley or the company that um, that that meant, that developed this T-shirt that said yes. Uh, we are watching women play sports. I don't know if I'm getting it right, and apologies to the, if I'm not exactly getting it right, but it there is an in- incredible uptick in investment in women in sports. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, every I see I see it because of volleyball. I I <laughs> went to the college finals and I just I couldn't believe it. I had never been to a final a volleyball college final ever in my life. That. And that it was huge. Yeah. It, you know, the, the Nebraska fans, the UT fans, it was just enormous. So there is this entire, the entire like excitement around women in sports. Um, how do you think that, that brands, organizations can sort of leverage that, but ensure that, that we're included? Yeah. At the same time. And I love that you say that because on Nebraska, they have a Latina libero player, right? right. And again, so that's, we are making sure that we highlighted Lexi Rodriguez and being like, there's right. a Latina on that championship team, right? That's possible that you can make it to that world stage. Um, but yeah, women's sports is such a rocket ship. And, you know, if brands are not recognizing that and sleeping on that, ooh, you are leaving money on the table. And to me, I, you know, I'm a strategist at heart. So I always look at the data, right? Because tugging on your heartstrings doesn't get us that far. You have to prove out that ROI. And fans of women's sports, that data is there, right? They have sponsorship recall. They have higher engagement rates. You know, they're more in tune with that female athlete. Um, So it's a win-win situation. So brands really, really need to make a strong strategy and not wait too much longer. So listen, so I'm a, I'm a brand, I'm a sports brand, or maybe any other brand. There's so many brands that are, there are food and beverage brands, there are CPG brands that are all investing in sports in general. And when it comes to sports and the Latino community, soccer being number one, right? And the entire Messi effect, et cetera. But I'm a brand. What do I, what's the first step that I should take if I've decided 
I'm going to invest or I'm at least going to take a first stab at looking at investing in Latinas and sports, what's the first thing that I should do? You call me, Natalie. <laughs> okay, then we need to put your contact information uh, on, uh, on this you, podcast. We don't, you, to our listeners, I'll be sharing the email, phone number, Instagram, LinkedIn. Okay, we call, you call Drafted. Yeah, yeah. no, but mm-hmm. listen, when you're, when you are taking that first initial steps and saying, I want to explore that Latina fandom, I understand Latina's purchasing power. I don't know how to speak to them, reach them, messaging. Where do I start? Where's my landscape of opportunity? You go to the Latina sports culture, you know, company that exists and who's doing it right. And that's us, right? And we will help you build that strategy. We know our audience like the back of our hands because we are her as well. Um, And, you know, we're the only ones doing that. We're the only one harnessing the power of Latina fandom. So, you know, you can tap into our community. You can get in front of her. You can get some insights um, and we'll begin to move the needle together. Great. Excellent. So listen, we are on Atrévete. So I have a question for you. Who is your atrevida preferida? Oh, you know, or many, there could be many. I was going to say a lot of people come to mind. I think first first and foremost, it's my grandparents who Mm -hmm. my dad's parents, they came to the United States from Mexico, you know, in search of that American dream. I unfortunately didn't have a chance to meet them. They both passed before I was born, but my dad has done an amazing job at telling me stories of their lives and their struggles and their accomplishments. And very fortunate that we have a lot of photos of them. So I keep those very close to me. Um, but I think that's the most daring thing that somebody can do is, is to step outside to the unknown with only betting on themselves and with the faith that they have in their heart and to step out and, and to make, you know, make their own path. And, you know, I think another one that comes to mind is my mother because she, oh, that one's going to make me emotional you know, she's just an amazing person and human and she didn't have the best role modeling growing up. And so for her building her own path brick by brick of I'm going to break, you know, cycles of change and trauma and how I'm raising my children and how I show up as a grandparent has just been beautiful to witness. And that's so bold and beautiful. And what is, what is her name? Linda, Linda Yepes. My mom is amazing. Well, a shout out to your mom. She must be incredibly proud of you, Jen, of everything that you're accomplishing. And that's, and that's beautiful to see that both your mom and your dad have kept so many memories alive. I, I think it's, it's beautiful how you just said that my grandparents are my atrevidos preferidos and you didn't get to meet them, which means how important it is, this, the storytelling component. Absolutely. And how your parents have kept that alive. It's beautiful. Y un gran, gran saludo a Linda. Mm. Okay. Um, another one of my, or just one of the last questions, and I, and I always enjoy asking this one. You have, listen, you have formed a company. You have taken a leap of faith. You're an entrepreneur. You're Latina. That takes guts, right? <clears throat> that takes, uh, that, is, that is being gutsy. That is being atrevida. But the question is, suerte o sudor? Mm. Is it hard work or luck yeah. to achieve the success that you all are achieving? And 
what percentage do you attribute to it? If you had to give a number over 100, oh. what percentage is suerte? I'm putting you on the spot. What percentage is luck and what percentage is sudor or hard work? And well, why? That's a hard one for me because, you know, I truly believe everything happens for a reason. And so, you know, you can work your, you know, you know what off and never get what you've been working towards or pining for. And for me, I view that as because it's not meant for you. Like Mihita, it is not meant for you. Stop working at it. So I don't think it's luck. I think it's destiny has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, landing that job, landing that interview, I think it's a lot destiny. It's a little bit destiny. So I'll put what? 30%, 30% destiny, but the majority of it is hard work, yeah. right? Destiny mm -hmm. can open the door, can open the window, but you better be honing your craft, you know, upskilling yourself, really digging into the meat of your, of your, you know, whatever industry that you're in. So when you get that opportunity, you can pick up the ball and run with it to the best of your ability. And, and I also think a little bit sprinkled on top, so at six, what would I say, 30, maybe some uh -huh. is hard work. You know, I think 10% of that is is um, emotional intelligence. I don't think people mm -hmm. talk about that enough. Really being able to connect human to human and build these meaningful relationships with people is really important because those are the people who are going to become your champions and speak your name in rooms that, you know, you are not in or that you'll never be in. And those are the people to call you five, 10 years down the line to say, hey, I, I need you. I need your brain. I need your skill set. And it can only be you. And that comes from emotional intelligence. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a little, a great, I love how you sprinkle that in. It's, it's, it is very important. Um, any last piece of advice on the note of having emotional intelligence of, of it's, it takes hard work. It's also luck and destiny. Some things are not meant to be. I love that. Do you have any last pieces of advice for anyone listening to the podcast uh, who right now might be thinking of taking a leap of faith mm -hmm. or wanting to grow in their careers and might or might be feeling stuck or might be feeling a little bit less than yeah. um, any pieces of advice you have? Listen, I've been there. I know that feeling all too well. And the advice would be to bet on yourself. You know, if you want a job change, if you want to leave corporate to go to entrepreneurship, whatever it is, bet on yourself because what's the worst that can happen? And I think that's the beautiful thing about Latinas. We always rebuild. We always pick ourselves up and it's okay. And even if you quote unquote fail, it's a lesson. It's a life learning that you can take and you can use into your next chapter, your next pivot. Um, but just bet on yourself. I love it. Thank you. Jen, this has been an amazing conversation. You heard it here. If you're looking to invest in Latinas in sports, help close that gap. You call Jen, you email her. We'll make sure you get the information drafted. Company founded by her and her partner, Karina. Karina's last name, Jen? Martinez. Martinez. Um, you heard it here. I think this is beautiful advice. You're a wonderful, wonderful example to business leaders out there, emotionally intelligent business leaders out there. You're a wonderful example to our community. Now I'm getting teary-eyed. What's up with that? How am I going to get through each of these podcasts without crying is what I tell Lewis all the time, our wonderful producer. But it's wonderful to see um, everything that you're doing. And you know, you always have my support. So with that, thanks, Jen. 
and, and good luck. Suerte con todo. Gracias. Thank you, Natalie.